0: chapter 14. 1 Corinthians chapter 14. Uh, yeah. And I know Ardith just got comfortable, and so did David, but I want to perform a little experiment. So David, if you could come up to the, to the mic up here. Ardith, could you come back to that piano? Um, If you want to turn to the solid rock artist, thank you. Uh, And if you could turn the keyboard on too, you can turn my mic off. Okay, was that fun? Did anyone here understand anything? No, chaos is what we just heard, chaos, pure and simple chaos. Sometimes it's fun, but the youngest child in me likes to do chaotic things from time to time, so it's fun to pull it out and do chaotic things, and it's fun to see my sister's face when I do it. We as a church try not to do things chaotically. Every week, I prepare an order of service. I have it printed out. I have what we're doing, who's doing what, what mics are going to be used, all this sorts of stuff. I have it detailed, and most of the time, we do it. Sometimes we have some deviation, like when someone calls me in the morning and says, Sorry, can't make it. Uh, And so we throw it out. But I made a whole new order of service, printed it out so Roxy would know exactly what was going on. We do this because we want to do things in order. We don't want chaos, as the title says, click, clack, chaos. In our passage today, Paul is talking about order versus chaos. 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verses 26 to 40, Paul writes... What then shall we say, brothers and sisters? When you come together, each of you has a hymn or a word of instruction, a revelation, a tongue, or an interpretation. Everything must be done so that the church may be built up. If anyone speaks in a tongue, two or at the most three should speak, one at a time, and someone must interpret. If there's no interpreter, the speaker should keep quiet in the church, speak to himself and to God. Two or three prophets should speak. And the others should weigh carefully what is said. And if a revelation comes to someone who is sitting down, the first speaker should stop. For you can all prophesy in turn, so that everyone may be instructed or encouraged. The spirits of prophets are subject to the control of prophets. For God is not a God of disorder, but of peace, as in all the congregations of the Lord's people. Women should remain silent in the churches. They are not allowed to speak But must be in submission, as the law says. If they want to inquire about something, they should ask their own husbands at home, for it's disgraceful for women to speak in the church. Or did the word of God originate with you? Or are you, you the only people it's reached? If anyone thinks they're a prophet or otherwise gifted by the Spirit, let them acknowledge that what I'm writing to you is the Lord's command. But if anyone ignores this, they will themselves be ignored. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, be eager to prophesy, and do not forbid speaking in tongues. But everything should be done in a fitting and orderly way. In this passage, we see that God is a God of order and that we were to reflect that, who he is, as his people. As a side note, I will be covering the entire passage today, but the sticky verses that are right in the middle of it, called verses 34 to 35, I'm not going to be covering those today. I'll be spending an entire sermon on them next week. So if you read that and all of a sudden the hair on the back of your head starts sticking up, come back next week and we'll comb those hairs down, okay? Today we're going to focus on the whole passage next week, specifically on those first two verses, those verses. Will you pray with me? Father, thank you that you are the God we can trust, that when the world around us is chaos... And pretty soon it seems like our world within us becomes chaos that you are not. But you are the solid rock that stands firm, that we can hold on to in the face of the storm and have peace. You are the God who allows us to be still. You are the God who shows us over and over and over again your faithfulness. Lord, thank you for being that God and proving you are that God by sending your son Jesus to die on the cross for our sins. That even as a, in a weekend where we think about those who have gone on before us to eternity and we grieve for them, even in that, we have your hope and your encouragement because that is who you are, God, and you never change. Thank you for being that God. Thank you for proving to be that God. Thank you that we can hold on to you. Lord, help us to see you for who you are today. And Lord, in seeing you, may our lives change that we might reflect you. May we not be content with our own sinfulness, but may our love for you and your beauty overwhelm us that we would reflect it, that would wash down on us. Lord, as I am here, I ask that I would decrease and that you would increase. And may the words of your mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, my rock and my redeemer. Thanks, Father. Amen. The Corinthians had really messed up worship services. Their pride, their self-focus, their hypocrisy, their ungodliness, all of this corrupted their time together, so much so that their worship times together, Paul calls them chaos. They are chaotic. To rebuild what a worship service is supposed to be, Paul calls the Corinthians to look away from themselves and look back on who God is. Paul says very simply in 1 Corinthians 14, God is not a God of disorder, but of peace, as in all the congregations of the Lord's people. Corinthians, this is, I'm not just talking about you. This, this is something God shows himself as all throughout the known world of those people who worship you. You, Corinthians, are the outliers. But this simple statement of who God is squishes the entire message of the Bible down into this one little short phrase that God is not a God of disorder, but a God of peace. Let's travel back, all the way back to the very beginning of the Bible. In Genesis chapter one, verses one to two, we read that the, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. The darkness was over the surface of the deep and the spirit of God was hovering over the waters. Moses records for us what it was like at the beginning of time, that there was chaos at the beginning of time. Chaos. Nothingness and chaos all intertwined. He said the earth was formless. It was without order. It was chaotic. And so God steps into that formless, chaotic world and brings light. He ordered it. He separated the light from the darkness, night from day. And he looked at the earth and he separated the waters of the earth from the waters above the earth and he gathered them all together and made land. He created order, if you go through Genesis chapter 1, it is creation, order after order after order. On and on he goes. He creates the sun and the moon. He creates calendar from it. Order. He creates reproductive plants and animals, each reproducing according to its own kind. Order. Finally, he creates the Garden of Eden. He places Adam and Eve in the middle of it, and he tells them to rule the creation. Order. Order. He gave Adam and Eve themselves rules to follow, order. God is God of order, and Genesis chapter one, the whole creation narrative is all about order. Well, we know what happened next. Adam and Eve sinned, and he took the order of God and smashed it into chaos. James says something very interesting about sin, and how sin manifests himself. James chapter three, verses 13 to 16. James writes, who is wise in understanding among you? Let them show it by their good life, by deeds done in the humility that comes from wisdom. But if you harbor bitter envy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast about it or deny the truth. Such wisdom does not come down from heaven, too far, but is earthly, unspiritual and demonic. It is sinful. For where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you find disorder in every evil practice. Where there is disorder, it is a sign of ungodliness and of the enemy's work. James says it there. Where there is demonic activity, there is disorder in every evil practice. Fast forward throughout the Bible. We left Adam and Eve sitting. Well, we can pick up with Moses at Mount Sinai. They've left Egypt. Moses up top of the mountain, all Israel's down below. God gives Moses the Ten Commandments, the rituals. He brings order into the chaos of the Israelite exodus from Egypt. Interestingly, today we see a lot of chaos in our society. And there's a lot of people I talk to that say, oh, we need to bring the Ten Commandments back in the public square. Because even then, even non-religious people, they, they see that these Ten Commandments, they bring order into chaos. We can talk more about the Ten Commandments, what they're actually used for. But God used them to bring order to the Israelites. Well, as God is giving Moses order for the Israelites up on top of the mountain, the Israelites, away from God, are in chaos underneath the mountain. Exodus 32, verse 1, when the people saw that Moses was so long in coming down from the mountain, they gathered around Aaron and said, come, make us gods who will go before us. As for this fellow Moses who brought us out of Egypt, we don't know what has happened to him. So Moses' brother Aaron says, fine, give me all your gold, throws into the fire, he makes a golden calf, and the people say, these are your gods, people of Israel, these are your gods who have brought you out of Egypt. The next day the people rose early and they sacrificed burnt offerings and presented fellowship offerings and afterward they sat down to eat, drink, and indulge in revelry. And the revelry and the chaos was so great that it sounded like a battle was going on in the camp, like there was war going on. This whole passage is a comparison, a contrasting between who God is and who people are in their natural state, uh, apart from God. God is a God, of disor- a God of order, not of disorder. He is apart from us. We in our sinfulness bring disorder. He brings order. We could, go, we could go into the order of God. We could go into the details of the ark, all about the order of God. We could go into the details of the tabernacle and the details of the temple system, the details of the sacrificialness. We could talk about the details in the New Testament on the leadership of the church and, and the details and the requirements of the leader, all these things that when God steps into chaos, he brings order because God is not a God of disorder. Instead, God is a God of peace. Did you notice the verse in 1 Corinthians 14, 33? It says, for God is not a God of disorder, but a God of peace. Paul is saying that the opposite of disorder is peace. But in my English class in high school, I was taught about vocabulary. I wasn't taught how to pronounce vocabulary, but I was taught about vocabulary. And I learned that you, the English language is made up of suffixes and prefixes and roots and all these sorts of things. So when you have a word that says disorder, it's made up of two parts, dis and order, not Order. So technically, the opposite of disorder should be thank you. But Paul says that no. The opposite of disorder in the economy of God is peace. Because when God brings in order, the result of that order, the thing that actually comes, is peace. It is harmony. In the big story of the Bible, we, humanity, is living in the chaos of sin. And then God steps in, and in the chaos of sin, God brings peace. Romans chapter five, verse one, therefore since we've been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. God brings peace. Jesus died on the cross to bring peace into our relationship with God. Romans chapter five, verse 10. For if while we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son, how much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? That word reconciliation is two parties coming together in peace. Not only does God look at the chaos of our relationship with him, as we live in the chaos of our sin, and he brings peace to that relationship, but God brings peace into our relationships with each other. In Paul's day, There are two groups of people, two main groups of people, who are living at odds with each other. You have the Jews, who are the keepers of the law, supposedly, God's chosen, and they smeared it in the faces of everyone every single day. And then on the other side of the equation, you had the Gentiles, who are not the keepers of the law, who are not God's chosen people, who detested those good-at-two-shoes Jews. And they hated one another's guts, they couldn't worship each other, they could barely stay in the same grocery store together. But Paul writes about these true groups of people that despised one another. He says, but God, Ephesians chapter 2 verses 14 to 17, but he, for he himself is our peace those two groups who are at each other's necks, come together in peace. Only through the miracle of Jesus can that happen. When we live according to God's order, when we say, I realize who God is and I want to reflect who he is in my life, peace comes. Remember what James said about disorder in James chapter 3. He continues on, He goes from describing the sign of ungodliness, which is disorder, and he starts describing the sign of godliness. In James chapter three, verses 17 to 18, he says, but the wisdom that comes from heaven is first of all pure, then peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and sincere, peacemakers, who sow in peace reap a harvest of righteousness. All these signs of uh, of godliness, he mentions peace, three times. Disorder on one side, peace on the other. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 14, for God is not a God of disorder, but of peace. If that is who our God is, if he is this God of order, what does it mean to reflect him with our lives? Well, first off, our services, our worship services should be in order. We should not be known as a church of chaos. Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 14, verse 10, everything should be done in a fitting and orderly way. Why? Because it reflects who God is. The way we interact with each other, the way we do things, tells people who our God is. When people visit our church and they walk in and they see us interacting with each other and hear us talking about, when they see what we do in our church, in our service, and what leads to the next thing, it tells them everything. is screaming to them, who we think our God is. Everything does that. And we want people to know that our God is the God of order. Our God is the God who brings peace, not just with him, but with each other. So we do things in a fitting and orderly way because God is not a God of disorder, but a God of peace. It's amazing what happens when we do things in order. And how it actually happens that peace comes. Take a home. This never happens. doesn't, never does. All these stock photos, they always lie. But in a small way, when a house has discipline in it, when they have rules and those rules are followed, children tend to have a better relationship with each other, with their siblings. It it happens that way. They have a better relationship with their parents. They have a better relationship with their friends, all because order has been brought and imposed into a house. Think about a school. When a school has rules, and those rules are followed, students tend to have a better relationship with each other. There's less bullying going on. They have a better relationship with their teachers. They have a better relationship with their administration, all because the has decide we're going to bring order into this place. And from that order has brought peace. When a church has structure and everyone is following that structure, peace happens. Because all of a sudden, not one person or one family is favored. Doctrinal squabbles don't happen because we have imposed order there. We're centered around following Christ as he has called us to, instead of saying, oh, but that's that's what has always been done. Instead of saying, wait a minute, no, this is the order that I've been called to do, therefore let's follow it. When we bring order in, peace happens. Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 14 to 26, What shall we say then, brothers and sisters? When you come together, each of you has a hymn or a word of instruction, a revelation, a tongue or interpretation. Everything must be done so that the church may be built up. When there is chaos, the church is torn down. Where there is order, it is built up. It brings peace. Some denominations take this to extreme. There's one denomination who has a book called the Book of Order, and that Book of Order is bigger than the Bible. It just is. They desired peace back in the day, and they said, we want our services to have order, so for the sake of imitating God, we are going to bring order. They went a little, I won't go into that. But I appreciate what they were doing, of wanting to bring order. Paul, in our passage, points to three illustrations of order that must come into the worship service for those who follow Christ. He talks about those speaking in tongues, which several weeks ago we tore apart that passage of speaking in tongues. You can go back and listen to it if you missed it. He says, if anyone speaks in a tongue, two, or at the most three, should speak, one at a time, and someone must interpret. If there is no interpreter, the speaker must keep quiet in the church and speak to himself and to God. There's order to be followed, Paul says. There's order to be followed. Not too many were to speak in tongues, and only if there was an interpreter, someone who could put that into intelligible words, only if that person was present. If there was no interpreter, no one could put it into intelligible words, that person had to be silent. Order. Some there at Corinth might have said, but the Spirit of God is moving me. Why are you trying to put a clamp on the Spirit of God, Paul? The thing is, God is a God of order. And if the Spirit of God is moving, he would only move according to the order of God, not according to chaos. So if a spirit is moving and is calling someone to chaos, it is not the Spirit of God. If there is chaos, Paul says, God is not there. Second, Paul says, to those who prophesy, and he says regulations that are very similar to the regulation towards those speaking in tongues, which, goes to show that the regulations, this order that Paul is bringing in, is not confined just to the prophets or those speaking in tongues. It is across the board. Everything must be done in order. Deeply rooted in the service. Paul writes, "...two or three prophets should speak, and the others should weigh carefully what is said. And if a revelation comes to someone who is sitting down, the first speaker must stop. For you can all prophesy in turn, so that everyone may be instructed and encouraged." The spirit of prophets are subject to the control of prophets. Again, order is to be followed. Not too many should speak. They weren't supposed to talk over one another. They're supposed to take turns, sow deference, all this. You see the peace coming out. And just with speaking in tongues, there's an aspect of humility. The person who who has this desire to speak in tongues must see if there is someone who can put into intelligible words, himself or someone else. If there isn't, he has to sit back. He has the humility to say, not right now. Here, the prophets are subject to others weighing carefully what is said. The word weighing carefully is the word evaluate or judge. Next week, we're going to talk a little bit more about uh, flesh those words out. It's very similar to what was happening in the Berean church in Acts, if you remember in Acts chapter 17. The Berean Jews were of more noble character than those in Thessalonica, for they received the message with great eagerness and examined the scriptures every day to see if what Paul said was true. In the early church, the time of Paul's writing, there was a portion of the service called the evaluation period. That's why I call it. The evaluation period. Well, people would evaluate what was being said. They would take out their Bible and they would open it and they would critique whether the prophet or the preacher was actually speaking of God or not. They would critique the source of the message, saying, okay, is this of the Spirit of God or is it not? And they would critique whether the message was in agreement with the rest of Scripture or not. They would critique the content. Of the message. Then finally, they would critique whether re- the result of the message was correct, the application of the message. This was a very important part of the service because the early church did not want anyone to stand up and say, Thus says the Lord, and have that person left alone to say whatever they wanted to say and not become under authority. Just to take one little rabbit trail, if I could. This is one of the dangers of social media and platforms like YouTube because anyone can get up there and say whatever they want to and they're not under the authority of a local church. They don't have a group of people sitting there who will stop them and say, wait a minute, the source of that's not correct. The content of that's not correct and the application's definitely not correct. It's very dangerous when you have someone who is just able to speak whatever they want to and is not under authority. I appreciate the people who attend our church because I see you looking at your scripture. I see you taking notes. And I, I, I know that you are assessing and thinking about what, are, what I am saying and so it holds me in check. I have conversations with people during the week about the sermon. I know if I ever misspeak, someone's gonna call me out and say, that's actually not what scripture says. And I appreciate that. Every pastor, every person needs those people in their life to hold them down and stay true to only this and nothing else. Many of you have conversations on your ride home and conversations around your dinner table about the sermon. And I, and I appreciate it because you're applying it to your life but you're also assessing it. It's important to have the humility to be under authority. It's important, and it's part of the order of the church. Once you take that, oh, heavens to Betsy, things go bad. The third illustration that is found in verses 34 to 35 is when Paul turns the ladies of the church and says, ladies, shut your mouth. And as I just said, I'm not gonna touch it today. We're gonna talk about that all next week. We're gonna have a grand old time. Y'all bring your rotten tomatoes, sit in the back of the church, it'll be great. People have taken those two verses and they've brought them to very unbiblical extremes on both sides of the aisle, and we're gonna take the time to actually unpack them, see what the Bible actually says within context, and hopefully correctly apply them in our context. We as Calvary Bible Church, to try to do things in order, in order to promote peace. Sometimes we don't do it correctly. Sometimes we do it way too well. But that's our goal. We want to give people the flexibility to allow God to move in their life so that people can praise him right then, right now. That's one of the reasons why we have in our order why we allow flexibility such as special music. We have people who who are on our three-month rotation who we say, hey, on that day, do whatever you want to do as long as it's glorifying to God. And so if, if God spurs you in your heart that you want to take part in that, please do. We won't just allow you to jump up in that middle of service. You've got to be put in the order of the rotation because we want to do things in order. But please, take part in it. You might say, well, I can't sing. I can't play a musical instrument. That's okay. We have people come up and read poet, poetry. You can come up and read poetry. You can come and read a passage of scripture that stood out to you that week. You could Bring a painting that you painted yourself and talk about how it exp- explains who God is. But all these ways that we allow flexibility within the order that God can move and call us to himself. We could show the giftings that God has given. We also have our flexibility to our prayer and praise times when people can share anything that God has laid on their heart of what God is doing and we can praise God with him. We allow that flexibility in the order of the service. It's one of the reasons why we have, we have this small group prayer times. Number one, it's important that the church prays, actually prays together instead of just having one person pray. But the church prays together, but allows you to seek God's face, to have the flexibility to praise God in the church service, how he's called you to praise, and how to seek his face in pleading with him, how he's called you to plead. And then we have someone close us in order at the whole end bring us all together order and flexibility god is a god of order therefore our services should be in order finally not to transition so quickly from who we are as the body of christ but just as our church should be in order so our lives need to be in order paul writes in 1 corinthians 14 verses 36 to 38 he says or did the word of god originate with you only corinthians are you the only people it has reached? If anyone thinks they are a prophet or otherwise gifted by the Spirit, let them acknowledge that. Let them acknowledge that what I am writing to you is the Lord's command. But if anyone ignores this, they themselves be ignored. A church is made up of individual people. We are the body of Christ as a whole, together. Excuse me, but we're made of different individuals. And individual people create the culture of a church. If an individual wants to follow God, more than likely the church will. If an individual does not want to follow God, more than likely the church won't. We're made up of individuals who make individual decisions for ourselves that affect the culture of the church. I know it's very oversimplific. There's a dance between the group and the individual and there's, there's positive peer pressure, negative peer pressure, all those sorts of things. But if you think about the Corinthian church, they were idolatrous and adulterous. They were selfish, egocentric jerks. They thought they could use spirituality as a way to climb the social ladder in their community. They cared more about being right than about loving the person who was sitting across from them. They were so stuck in their sinful mindset that they thought that they were above the clear teaching of God. They said, hey, we have the Spirit of God, therefore, we don't need to listen to you, Paul. I know you're saying this, but that applies to Thessalonica, not to us. So many churches, so many individuals say this. They may not say it, but their lives say it. We have the Spirit of God. I, I'm, I profess to be a follower of Jesus Christ, therefore... I don't need to listen to the Bible today. I'm good. I got it taken care of. Paul says, if anyone ignores the command of God, they themselves will be ignored. There's such pride that we so often have that we think that we can ignore the word of God. Or as the Corinthians acted, that the word of God originated from them instead of the creator of the universe. I can't really be pointing fingers at everyone else because I'm human too. I have a certain order to my sermon prep because I'm an orderly guy. I go detailed through the text, read in the English and the original languages. I think about what it says. I ask what the main point of the passage is. I start creating a working outline And then after I do that, I go and look at commentaries and other sermons and see if I'm kind of in the right place. I go do a bunch of research on cultural backgrounds. I go through this whole list. I got this workflow on my computer that I just go through and answer all these questions. But before I start studying the commentaries and sermons and all those cultural backgrounds, after I've created a working outline of what I think the text is saying, I ask myself a simple but very hard question. What do I need to learn from this passage? What do you need to learn from this passage, Peter? I call it my heart check. My pastor in high school called it plowing your own field first. As I was preparing this passage and I looked at it and I said, okay, what do I personally need to learn from this passage? I wrote down this. The many times I act like I'm above the morality of God, that there are exceptions for me, but there are not. But that's the truth. So often I look at my life and that is me. I say, yes, I know the Bible, Bible says this, but it would be so much easier to do this right now. It would make me feel better. It would make me happy. It would allow me, yes, it would cut corners, but the end result would be fine. But it's not true. So if I could rewrite some verses for you. I'm not changing the word of God. I'm just trying to Make it applicable. Did the word of God originate with you, Peter? Or are you the only person it has reached? Peter, if you think you are a prophet or otherwise gifted by the Spirit, you better acknowledge that what I'm writing to you is the Lord's command. But if you ignore this, Peter, you yourself. Be ignored. And boy, after I wrote that, God started flooding that whole week after I prepared this sermon. Thing after thing after thing after thing that needed to change in my life. It's truly amazing what happens. How we can open scripture. We can nod our heads in agreement and say, oh yeah, yeah, uh-huh, yep, I got it, yep. Close Bible. walk away. Completely forgetting what it says. Or even worse, not just completely forgetting it, but remembering it and rationalizing why in this instance it doesn't apply. Oh, Lord have mercy. James writes it this way in James chapter 1 verses 22 to 24. He says, do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like someone who looks at his face in a mirror and after looking at himself, hmm, goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. I've had conversations with people pointing scripture out to them that applies to their lives of ways they can change. They read it, they process it, they walk away and my heart just aches for them because I know what's going to happen. Paul says, if you ignore it, you yourself are going to be ignored. You're going to be pushed aside. But if we heed the word of God, James tells us in James chapter 1, verse 25, whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues in it, not forgetting what they heard, but doing it, they will be blessed in what they do. Those are the two choices. And there's only two choices. Paul says that our lives should be in order. If we believe who God is, that he is the God of order, the God who brings peace. Our lives should be reflecting it every single day. We should be someone who seeks God, studying the word of God for ourselves, for our own sake, and asking God, what do I need to repent of based on this text? What do I need to change? How does my life need to be rearranged so that by my life I can show others who you are, your character in me? Show me God, Reveal it. And when we feel that uncomfortable little bony finger of conviction pressing between our ribs, don't ignore it. We can't ignore it. We must change. It's my challenge for you this week. As you think about who God is, I challenge you every day this week. I don't care what's going on, the busyness, all that sort of thing. Even though tomorrow's Memorial Day, every day this week, read the Bible doesn't have to be a whole chapter or a book. Take a short Bible passage like Psalm 1 or Psalm 119. First 1 Peter. Something small. Take a couple of verses. Read through it this week. And ask, what do I need to do differently? That's it. And see what God does in your life. If you need help with that, let me know. That's what I'm here for. I'm not just here to preach a sermon, but to walk with you in your life and to push you towards Christ. Our God is a God of order. Therefore, our services should be order. Therefore, definitely, our lives should be in order. Will you pray with me? Father, thank you. Thank you for looking at us and realizing how much help we need so you don't just stay up in heaven and throw Bolts of lightning at us. But you are the God who came down into our chaos, literally living among it and bringing order and peace. And if we turn to you in faith, you bring the peace in our life and you give us the strength and the opportunity to change our life and be more orderly and show people who you are. Lord, I ask that you would help us as Calvary Bible Church to be people who reflect you, Lord, help us to yearn for that and to seek that and not be content with the chaos around and within us, but to continually turn to you in faith and to change by being near you. Lord, keep that work going in our life. That people around us would know beyond a shadow of a doubt that we are yours, that you are our God, and there is no other. Thanks, Father. Amen.